Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. pick up where I left off last week we're going to talk I'm going to do a brief recap for those of you who weren't here and for those of you who were just to jog your memories I'm talking about the kingdom of God and what does that mean and you know it's it's the message that Jesus preached more than any other Uh, many of us understand that even today we go out and we want to preach this thing called the gospel but what is the gospel gospel means the good news But Jesus didn't just preach good news. He preached the good news of the kingdom. So he didn't preach the gospel of salvation. What is the gospel of salvation? The gospel of salvation is come to Jesus, accept him as your savior, and be saved. And the end of the gospel of salvation is salvation itself. But in the kingdom, salvation is not an end. Salvation is just the very beginning It's the doorway into the message and the good news of what Jesus came to share, which is the kingdom of God. And the reason we we looked at last week that Jesus had to spend so much time trying to explain what the kingdom of God was, what it was like, is because the people of Israel, the Jews to whom Jesus was sent, uh, had misguided expectations concerning the Messiah, concerning who Jesus was and what he would be like. The people of Israel were looking for a Messiah in the likeness of David. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. He's the the king that brought them into a time of peace. He handed the kingdom over to his son Solomon and they had a wonderful time together. So David was the liberator of Israel. He brought them into a place of peace. And I read to you last week from N.T. Wright, he makes this statement Uh, And N.T. Wright is just a a very, very well-known biblical scholar of our time. He said that the salvation spoken of in Jewish sources of this period, in other words, when Jesus lived, has to do with the rescue from national enemies, the restoration of national symbols, and a state of shalom or peace in which every man sat under his own vine or fig tree. So we understand that the people of Israel still had a very nationalistic expectation and that phrase we explored that phrase a little bit last week every man had his own vine every man had his own fig tree that's a a symbol of what David was able to bring to the nation of Israel peace belonging a home and it was sort of a nostalgic yearning back to the days of Solomon and that was their hope and expectation so we saw that the greatest resistance that Jesus experienced in trying to teach on the kingdom of God and to usher in the kingdom of God was the expectation of the people that he had been sent to. The understanding is this, that if the the people were expecting somebody to come in the likeness of David, so very often we saw in the Old Testament Jesus was referred to as the son of David. And why is that significant? Because a son, a mature son, comes and he's a representation of his father. 
And so they were expecting Jesus to come in the likeness of David, that he would come with a sword, he would liberate the people of Israel, and he would establish them as God's chosen people. Now, of course, they were God's chosen people, but, it, but Jesus chose to do things in a slightly different way. He came, instead of in the spirit of David, he came in the spirit of God to establish not just an earthly kingdom, and to establish it his way. In other words, not in the same, not after the same pattern that David established the kingdom, kingdom of Israel. And so this is where we're going to start off this week with understanding what pattern then, if it wasn't going to be like that, what did Jesus have in mind when he started teaching on his kingdom? And my, I want to tell you right up front as we share about this what my expectation is. My hope is that as I share with you today that you will get a grasp on the simplicity of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. When we get a grasp of the simplicity of this message and how easily it can work itself out in our personal lives and in the lives of those around us, we're, equipped, we're far better equipped to cooperate with God, to be led by His Spirit uh, in, in, in seeing the kingdom of God in our own lives as well as in the lives of others. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray. Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that look like? Where do we begin? I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We're going to go to chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 1. Book of John, chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let's pause for a second. This man was a very well-known man. He was uh, a member, as like I said, of the, of the Pharisees. But his reputation was, was right up there. He was a notable man within the within the Pharisees. And because of that, the Bible tells us that this man in verse 2 came to Jesus by night under cover of darkness and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, and if you look at the Greek word there, it means born from above. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now that's quite a statement that Jesus is making. You see, you need to understand the, the mentality of the Pharisees. They, they understood that there were certain righteous requirements expected of them. And all they were really waiting on was the coming Messiah to establish the kingdom. They thought that in their Jewishness, they thought that in their own righteousness in terms of fulfilling the law and living it out, that they had somehow made a, a level that was acceptable to God. And Jesus pulls the rug out right out from under him. He says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, what does he mean by water and the Spirit? I'll focus on water first. There's, there's, there's numerous interpretations of what that means. Some people say that means natural birth. So unless you are born of a woman, in other words, you, you're born, you, you're alive. Another interpretation that some people apply is that you are baptized. So in other words, you're born again and the evidence is that you're baptized. <coughs> a third interpretation is people talk of being washed by the water of the word and you'll find that in Ephesians 5:26 you'll also find reference to it in 1 Peter 1:23 I'm not going to go into those scriptures now for the sake of time but there's the understanding of being washed by the water of the word <coughs> and the point I want to make because people can get stuck on these things is that whichever one fits best with you, whether it's be, to be born of a woman, whether it's to be born again in terms of baptism, whether it's to be washed according to the water of the word, the emphasis Jesus gives is not so much to the water. The emphasis that Jesus places is on the statement and the spirit. Jesus actually sums this all up in the very next verse, John chapter 3 verse 6, where he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is why most believe in the first or the original interpretation. But then he says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. The Passion Translation says it this way, the natural realm can only give birth to the things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. So like I said earlier on, the Jews considered themselves the chosen people of God, which they were, but the implication, therefore, is that if you were born a Jew, you were born chosen. The message that Jesus is giving here, that the kingdom of God is not a natural kingdom. It's not a kingdom like David came to establish. It's not a kingdom of flesh and of bones and of, and of physical powers and armies. It's not a kingdom of natural territories. But it's a spiritual kingdom, first and foremost. And Jesus is articulating to this man, Nicodemus, he says that the prerequisite for citizenship in the kingdom of God is, is spiritual birth. You must be born again. In essence, he's saying it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what traditions you follow. It doesn't matter what nation you come from, Jewish or other. It doesn't matter where your parents are born. It doesn't matter where your children are born. It doesn't matter how many rich and influential friends you have. If you want to see and enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the realization that Nicodemus has is, this is something that I cannot in myself physically do. How can a man, he says, enter back into his mother's womb to be born again? It doesn't make any sense. His way of thinking was... Everything about kingdom life was, how, what do I have to do? What work do I need to perform? What ritual do I need to do? And Jesus debunked that whole way of thinking. Charles Spurgeon said the following. He said, a man may cast away many vices, forsake many lusts in which he indulged, and conquer evil habits. But no man in the world can make himself to be born of God. Though he should struggle, never so much, he could never accomplish what is beyond his power. And mark you, if he could make himself to be born again, still he would not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because there is another point in the condition which we have violated. Unless a man be born of the Spirit, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we see here the, one of the key points that we need to understand concerning the kingdom of God. It is not a natural kingdom. It is a spiritual and a supernatural kingdom. Not only that, it is a kingdom that gains its existence, its meaning, its significance, and its life from God Himself. It's a personal kingdom. How is it that we get born again? We get born again by coming into personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What is it that Jesus preached? He, 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 he was doing the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the hearts of men back to the Father. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34, says the following. I'll read it to you from the Message Bible. It says, this, and this is obviously Jeremiah looking ahead to the better and the new covenant that is to come. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. I will put my law within them. Write it on their hearts and be their God. And they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They will know me firsthand. The dull and the bright, the smart and the slow. I'll wipe, wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. And so God establishes, or Jesus establishes the thinking and the understanding of this new kingdom that he was that he had come to establish on a completely new and different foundation from that which the people of Israel were expecting. So Jesus then begins to teach on the kingdom of God, what it is like, how is it that we begin to respond to it. And for that I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read what is probably the most popular or, or well-known parable that Jesus told. But Jesus said something about this parable that we're going to get to that unlocks a kingdom truth and enables us to understand kingdom realities at a, very fun, at a fundamental level. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to start reading from verse 1. And he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened, as he sowed, that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased excuse me, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. 
And he said to them, and this is, these are the words that I want you to note. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So let's pause for a moment. There's two things I want to highlight from what Jesus says. He says, first of all, if you do not understand the principles of what I'm communicating in this parable, you won't understand what I'm trying to communicate in all the parables that I tell you. So many times, Jesus, in all the Gospels, the king says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, and he compares it to a man who sows seed, or a man who goes away on a journey, or to leaven, or to seeds, or he compares it to so many things. And he says, if you do not understand this parable, or the principle of this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. The second thing that he says, which is very interesting, is he says, to you it has been given to know the mystery or the hidden things of the kingdom of God. That word hidden things, basically the understanding of that is that, folks, God has hidden things for you in the kingdom of God. Not from us, but for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about that as well. I'm not going to go into that now. But there are things of the kingdom and mysteries, unknown things, that God desires to teach us. Let's finish reading the account of what, how Jesus interprets this parable. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30 fold, some 60, and some 100. So as I've said already, Jesus said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand kingdom life. You're not going to understand how the kingdom of God works. What was his basic message here? The kingdom of God is not an influence that comes on you from the outside. It's not an outward force. It's an influence that begins with a seed in the heart. The outstanding characteristic of the kingdom of God is that he chooses to place the potential of his magnificent life-giving power into seemingly insignificant things. Firstly, to bring life and change to the individual and also to repeat the process through the individual. So let me give you an example. I'm going to ask the Somerset West guys because that's where I am. Imagine there was an acorn in my hand. Jonathan, you're not allowed to answer this because I did this with you earlier in the week. Imagine there was an acorn in my hand. What would you say the potential of that acorn is? A tree. To grow into a big oak tree. I always want to say an acorn tree. So I got the answer. It's unanimous. The potential of that acorn is an oak tree. I disagree. 
the potential of that acorn is not an oak tree. The potential of that acorn is a forest of oak trees. Contained within something seemingly so insignificant, there is incredible, incredible potential and power. That is what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus, in the first parable we looked at, we're going to look at another one now. In the first parable he looked at, he talks about our individual experience with him and with his word. Who is the word of God? It is Jesus. As we open our hearts and receive Jesus, the Bible says that that seed of his presence within us begins to produce a harvest within us of Christ-likeness. And his, our Christ-likeness should grow and grow and grow and therefore begin to show on the outside. Our character begins to change. Our desires begin to change. Our thought life begins to change. How? By being forced upon us from the outside? No. Through little things that happen on the inside of us, relationally with God, on a personal level. One seed is sown. It is. I, I like the way he puts it <clears throat> when he tells the parable. He says, But the seed fell on good ground, yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. It was sown in good ground. It begins to spring up inside of you. That thing, that thought, that desire, that motivation that God puts there, begins to, that was sown, begins to, what was the word I just lost? Sorry. It begins to increase. It grows and grows and grows until ultimately it produces fruit in our lives. So that's the first understanding that we need to get of kingdom life, how the presence and our relationship with God works within the individual. But then there's another parable that I want to read with you, and that's in Matthew chapter 13. So please turn there in, in, in your Bibles, Matthew 13. We're going to read from verse 24 through to verse 30. Now it's interesting to note, I just want to say this while you turn there in your Bibles, there's throughout the Gospels or throughout the New Testament, we see people speaking about the kingdom of God. And the only place we see that anything different is in the book of Matthew, who speaks about the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, instead of the kingdom of God is like. Some people say, why does he do that? The simple reason is this. Matthew had a different audience, and he adapted the wording to suit the audience he was speaking to. Uh, he's the only one who did that, and so the understanding is you need to just realize the kingdom, when we speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we're speaking of the same thing. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This parable is very different from the original parable we read. 
First of all, let me explain to you the difference between wheat and tares. We all understand that wheat grows, and when it grows, when it comes to maturity, a wheat kernel grows in the husks. And as they grow and they get heavier and heavier, the husk begins to droop. And you'll see that when wheat is, re when wheat is ready for harvest, you've got husks that are lying and drooping over like this because of the weight of the kernel inside the husks. Tares look very similar to wheat. They grow at about the same pace, but they have empty husks. They have no substance. And so when it comes time to harvest, they stand straight up. And that's why the owner says, or the master says, when it's ready for harvest, you first take out the tares, and then you'll be able to harvest the wheat properly. Now in the first parable, the, the field was the heart of, of, of man. The, the seed was the word of God. And the sower was God, was Jesus. He who, shares, he who, he who gives the word. In this parable, things are a little different. In this parable, the field that he's speaking of, it's the world. The good seed that is sown are the sons of the kingdom of God. In other words, these are believers. And the tares are false believers. They look the same, but they are sons of the wicked one. Who, Although on the superficially they look like God's people, they do not have any substance they are not truly born again. They do not have the Spirit of God residing within them. And like I said, the seeds spoken, spoken of here are sons of God, who He Himself sows into the world, seemingly insignificant people, with the full potential of His magnificent life-giving power residing within them. So in the same way that we looked at a little acorn and said the potential within this acorn is an entire forest of oak trees. Likewise, when we understand the kingdom that we now become the seeds in the hands of God, the same truth can be said of you and I. Within you lies all the potential and all the power that, of, of the presence and the person of God because He is the one who dwells within you. And so what God does in the same way that His Word within us causes things to, to happen and to grow and produce a harvest, so too the seeds of the, of, the, of, the, of the sons of God as seeds in the kingdom are sown in order that they may produce kingdom influence wherever it is that God places them. I read the scripture last week. I'll read it for you briefly as well. Luke 18, 13 to 21. Sorry, it's 18 to 21. Luke 18, 18 to 21. Then he said to them, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in his branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. What's the principle here, folks? That the kingdom of God is not some big thing that we're going to look for out there and find. The people of Israel at the time were looking for it. And Jesus said plainly in other scriptures, He says, you look for this sign and you look for that thing and say to us, show us the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is amongst you. The kingdom of God is within you. Seemingly insignificant things as we simply receive the Word of God and obey it and allow that influence to grow 
within us. It is to say that because of an encounter that we have with Jesus, the person, God Himself, that we have been changed forevermore into His glorious likeness and liberty. It's to say that the victory that Christ won over death and over the power of sin has become our victory in which we now walk by faith in the power of the Spirit who resides within us, ministering His life-giving wisdom and power to us every single day. And it's by that power that we face the world around us. Resolute in righteousness to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. That is the simplicity of the kingdom message. Now we can define kingdom as an area over which a king exercises governance. We would say that's our hearts. But when we begin to understand the simplicity of the kingdom of God, we begin to say, all right, God, what seeds is it you are sowing into my heart right now? Allowing those seeds to germinate, allowing them to, to, to increase and produce. And we can also look at God and say, Father, where is it that you have sown me? How can I, through seemingly insignificant acts of love and kindness, sow your kingdom into the lives of others to show them what you are like? And that is how the kingdom of God begins to grow. Now, next week... Pastor Andreas, I'm sure, will be ministering on the webinar. I'm going to round this series out and talk about love. That the way we express the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. And so if you want to catch the third part of this, you're welcome to download the message that I'll preach next Sunday at Alpha and Omega. It'll be available on the webinars. But my hope is that the, the, a simplifying of an understanding of the kingdom of God will enable us to lay hold of it and take hold of it in a far more meaningful and practical way. Understanding how God sows into our life and His desire to see harvest and fruitfulness and also understanding how God sows us to influence others with His love and grace to also produce a harvest and have kingdom influence. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.